We've celebrated Christmas. We've sung the carols. We've read the story. We've had time with family and friends. Some of you have had long weekends. Here we are on New Year's Day, and as we figured it out, every year we know that New Year's is a week after Christmas, so when Christmas is on Sunday, New Year's is on Sunday, and thankfully, Nathan has already explained that some of the regulars are not here, and so when the regulars are not here, you start scurrying around. You need somebody to be here. So on Thursday, when I had a call from our friend Dr. Hutchins, he asked me if I would fill the pulpit and since I told the Lord a long time ago that I would always say yes, I didn't say, can I call you back in a week? And so he said, okay, so it's my privilege to stand here this morning. But let me just say, I'm always reminded it's a serious thing to come into the house of God and open the word of God to talk to the people of God about the things of God, but that's exactly what my assignment is this morning. So we'll trust the Lord to be with us during this time as we look at what I believe is a very familiar story. And some of you might not be able to find it in your Bible, but you might find it in the Bible storybook because it's a beloved story. And it's always safe to talk about Jesus. This morning... We're going to be doing just about what these folks were doing because we'll be looking at some folks that were in the house of God, with the people of God, with the Word of God, and we'll find they were talking about the things of God. And you know what? Jesus was there, right in their midst. And it's interesting when he described what was going on, you know what he called it? He said, I'm about my father's business. So perhaps we could say honestly and humbly, today we're about the father's business. You know, Luke is the place where we go to learn about Jesus, his early days. And interestingly enough, many of those stories are exclusive to Luke. We know that in Luke chapter 2, we read about the birth of Jesus and then in that same chapter following the birth his parents were devout Jews remember he made his first trip to the temple as a little babe in fact in that trip to the temple that's where could I say he met Simeon maybe I could say Simeon met Jesus but it was a memorable meeting for Simeon who made this statement. Maybe it's poetry. Maybe he's just pouring out his heart. But Simeon said, when he saw the Christ child, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. No other gospel has this account of Jesus in the temple, and I emphasize temple because it was an important place that day, and it would be an important place for the rest of his life. Well, Luke goes on with his story. 
verse 39. And Larry, thank you for reading that text. It may have been a little longer than usual, but it's, it's such a wonderful story and so comprehensive. And I think we need to hear the words of Scripture before I dare make some comments on those words. Verse 39 says, So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Once the family is back in Nazareth, this is all we know about Jesus until we come to our text today. The early years are important, but the information is scarce. So we read, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. He grew physically, and he grew spiritually, and he was filled with wisdom. And all the way, Scripture wants us to know he was fully man. Yet, as one writer says, he was man at his best. He was man without any sin. And the grace of God, that is the favor of God, was upon him. Now, his parents were devout Jews, which meant they did everything according to the law to please God. And so we're told that they went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. Perhaps we should say, because it's easy to read into Scripture, it does not say that Jesus had been every year, because at this point, the focus is on the parents. The parents went to Passover because Passover is one of the requirements for attendance for every Jewish male. Mary was along, and on this occasion, text says when he was 12 years old, they, that is the family, went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And for the first time uh, since the parents took the baby to Nazareth, we read something about the boy. Luke wants us to see him as a part of a a devout family. Living in a small town, maybe 70 miles away from the big city, Jerusalem, the holy city, the temple mount, all those things that were synonymous with Judaism. But they were devout Jews living in Nazareth. He's 12 years old. It's an important age for a Jewish boy because it's the time when he would be referred to as a son of the law. And he would take on more responsibilities for his own actions. So it may not have been his first trip with the family, but it was certainly a special trip. Passover itself was followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which went on for some seven days. So as we read Scripture, as always, we need to allow some time to pass between one verse and the next. We need to put at least seven days in there so we can't rush the story. In fact, the story is written very in a structured manner, and we're only introduced to certain people when we need to be introduced, and we're only told certain things when it's time to tell us. Verse 43 then says, it's over. When they had finished the days as they returned 
the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. Now, for the first time, we learn what happened during those seven days in the temple. Mary and Joseph started home. But the boy Jesus, he's called the boy Jesus, he tarried behind. You can read various translations. He tarried, he lingered, he just stayed behind. You see, in the larger caravans, we're told, the women would be in a group walking, and the men would be in their group walking. Maybe the young boys were walking by themselves, or they may have just moved back and forth. They need a lot of action. But the whole caravan was headed back home. G. Campbell Morgan, a respected old preacher, puts it this way. The family, the parents, had such confidence in the boy Jesus that they were sure that he was right where he ought to be. Isn't that the kind of confidence that you would like to have in your 12-year-old? Then the caravan stopped for the night. Evening had come, and they realized he's not anywhere around here. They must have been concerned for him, certainly, and perhaps a bit, could we say, uh, critical of themselves, perhaps grieved by their own negligence. The text says, so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, you know, sometimes when folks talk and they want to say more than there is about Scripture or they want to tell you something you never thought about, they will come up with cutesy ideas. And, and I would honestly say the idea that Mary and Joseph lost the boy in Jerusalem is probably far from the text. So let's just set that aside. Let's say they went out for a day, realized he was not there, they went back for a day, and then on the third day, they found what really surprised them. We could say that he was a 12-year-old. Clearly, that meant new responsibilities, and I think it indicates that this boy, Jesus, who was fully man and fully boy, I think he was enjoying his new responsibilities and his new freedom and his new privilege. You could say, well, what about the time he was in Jerusalem? We will learn that he was closely associated with some very respected teachers. He also knew where his parents had spent the night for seven nights. So I think we need not worry about his safety back in Jerusalem. So we come to verses 46 and 47. And this would be the most significant event, or perhaps the first event in our passage. This would be what you would find in your children's storybook. So this is going to be the good part, the action. We can really get our teeth into this. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers. Could we say the doctors and the lawyers? And you can find all the translations to, to puff it up and make it a really impressive setting, which it would have been. They found him in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. One day out, one day back, 
You know, the days were counted. On the third day, sometime during that day, they found him. And we might be interested in knowing that the Temple Mount is no small area. It's bigger than the First Baptist Church of Birmingham's acreage. In fact, it's 36 acres. So you could find a boy in a lot of different places there in the temple area. But he was not just anywhere out there exploring. The story gets better. In the midst of the temple complex, there he was sitting in the midst of the teachers. You see, that could have been as much as 10 days that he had been there. And the focus at this point is not on the parents, and it's really not even on the teachers. It's on the 12-year-old Jesus. One writer says this is far more than a young genius who is playing Bible trivia and, and outscoring all the professionals. No, this is a serious matter. Jesus was sitting among him. They allowed that. And the text says he was listening and he was questioning. Seems to me he's doing what any wise person would do if they're in the presence of some other wise people. You listen and you consider. And if you're allowed to ask a question, you do that. And the response of the people where he was sitting, they were astonished. All who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. It may have been that he was asking questions they had never thought to ask. He may have had different answers to the questions they were asking. But the fact is, their response was amazement and astonishment. It's quite possible that there were men in that circle, in that room, that would see Jesus 18 years later, when as a 30-year-old, he went back to the temple on his first teaching and preaching mission. So verse 48 records the arrival of the parents. They find him. They've seen it. Perhaps they stood and they watched, trying to take it in. They too were amazed. They were astonished. Uh, one translation says they were, they were overwhelmed at what they had seen. They knew their son was special. How did they know? The angel had told them. Everything about Jesus was unique. But sometimes, remember, our human minds can't quite grasp what God is doing. So they had a moment of revelation as they stood and looked at those people and their son. Well, his mother's response, again, we dare not be trite, but his mother's response was perhaps natural. Some of you mothers can explain it better than this grandpa can. But she said, son, why have you done this? What? To us. Is that a natural response for a loving mother? And then it's like she just had to say one more thing. Help me out, mothers. What did she say? Your father and I looked everywhere for you. Well, is that natural? Maybe she has it off her chest. Maybe that's her, her, her penance. But the story is still focused on Jesus. You see, his parents were anxious but Jesus was calm. In fact, he had done a lot of listening during those 10 days. But right now, 
he's going to have something to say, and it's something very important. He actually asks two questions. We're coming to what I would call the theological center of a whole text. This is the message for us. The first thing is, Jesus said, why did you seek me? Maybe the emphasis was different. Why? Why did you seek me? But I'm wondering if perhaps he's thinking, I'm not ready to go. I'm learning and they're learning and, and I just, I like staying here. Is it possible that Jesus, who knew the scriptures, remembered the story of Samuel? What happened to little Samuel? He was a special gift from God. But you know, one of the blessings in his life is that about the time he was weaned, he was not 12 years old, but he was allowed to do what? Live in the temple with the priest. Could Jesus be thinking, maybe this is what's in store for me? But he goes on and asks another question. And this is the question that probes us. This is the, what I would call the title of the lesson. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Now, I realize that that is translated different in some other trans, in some other uh, versions. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But let's just first of all point out these are the first recorded words of Jesus in the Old Testament. So if you want to do a historical analysis, these are his first words. More than that, these are the words where he first declares his purpose that the Father sent him to carry out. We need to notice that he referred to the Father as my Father. He didn't call him God or Creator, but he calls him my father. You see, when Mary used a Greek word, pater, to say your father, who was she talking about? She was talking about Joseph. But when Jesus used the same word, there's no doubt when he said my father, there's no doubt he was talking about my father in heaven. So here we have Jesus beginning to unfold even for his own parents, his mission on earth. I mentioned there are various translations. Uh, the King James and the New King James calls it my father's business. Other translations, several of them refer to say, I must be about my father's house. Some say I must be about the things of my father. I'm not defending a particular translation, but I might note that even those that don't translate it as my father's business, they still put it as a footnote. So there must be some weight in that. And it seems to me that if you work for your dad, he may put you in charge of this store or this department, or maybe you're over bookkeeping, maybe you're even over legal, but to be over his business is to what? To be over everything. So this is quite an assignment that Jesus is taking for himself. You see, as an adult, what would he be doing? Well, he would explain his father's words. He would do his father's will. He would defend his father's house. He would be busy for three years, busy about his father's business. And there's an urgency. He tells us right now, I must be doing that. Later on, he would say of himself, he came to do the will of him that sent me. 
and to finish his work. All along the way, Jesus is not rude. He's not arrogant. He's not rebellious. In fact, he's saying what he learned from God, not from what he learned from any person. But Mary and Joseph are not able to understand. We understand why they can't understand because they're in the presence, literally, of the Son of God. Luke writes a tender phrase. It's a phrase that he's used before. He says, his mother kept all these things in her heart. You may remember that earlier in his gospel, in fact, when the baby was born, as Mary had seen all the comings and goings and the gifts and the singing and all the praise, the scripture says, what? She treasured these things. She pondered them in her heart. So now a few years later, as she stands somewhat at a distance and sees her son taking this giant step, she quietly treasures these things and ponders what she herself is is learning about her son. So the story begins with a focus on the parents. And I say this with emphasis. The parents were going up to Jerusalem. We know that geographically. Here we are ending and the focus is on Jesus. What's the family doing? This says he went down. You see the focus, the spotlight moved. Jim's just moved the spotlight. It's moved from the family to Jesus. We're following Jesus back to Nazareth. And when he gets to Nazareth, Luke says, those next years he would be subject to them. So while Jesus went through this time of revelation and explanation and even exclamation, he did not neglect his earthly responsibility to Mary and Joseph. You might notice this is the last time we read about Joseph in the life of Jesus So we have another summary statement in verse 52. We had a summary statement at the beginning in verse 40. This summary statement says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And all the way we might say he had a human nature as a baby, as a child, as a boy, certainly as an adult. Reared according to the Jewish law. Increasing in wisdom, increasing in favor with God and with man, all the while knowing he was the Son of God, and all the while differentiating between his earthly father, earthly family, and his heavenly father. He took a giant step when he made that statement. He knew that he had to be concerned for the things of his father. Jesus was about his father's business. Serious matters. So the question is, what can we learn from this? Well, I think we can say very quickly, we see a family that's devoted to God and to their child. We see Jesus in the temple talking with the teachers. We hear Jesus' own words about the father's business planned for him and then as he goes into the distance we see Jesus going back down the road to live out another 18 years 
of patient, waiting, preparation, worship, because his time would come for his earthly ministry. Here we are today, New Year's Day, 2023. Never been here before, have you? I appreciate what has happened in the worship service, and, and we didn't put up a banner that says it's New Year's Day, but Nathan, you reminded, uh, reminded us of that in song and in word. And so it is New Year's Day. It's the beginning of a new year. And I'm reminded, as most of you are, there are a lot of things clamoring for our focus. What do people want? They want your time. They want your attention. Some of them want your money, your, your affections. They, they just want you. They need to, to influence you. In fact, some of them call themselves influencers. Well, the question is, what does it mean for a believer to be about the Father's business? Is that a vague term? Is it too broad? Well, I'm going to let you sort that out. By the way, you have the evening to do that, I believe. We're not back here tonight, right? But it's a big task to be about the Father's business. And I would think that one of the things it includes is what we're doing right here this morning. Gathered in the house of God with the people of God, open the Word of God, talk about the things of God. To call God my Father is to be in a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus. That means different things, but I think we need to remind ourselves, for some people, that means you need to believe that Jesus said He is He. You need to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. For you, it may mean salvation. There may be somebody else that needs to come to the point where you're willing to set aside your own selfish will and submit to God's perfect will. You might call that rededication. There may be some people here that have said, it's a new year and it's time to do what I should have done last year. It's time to join this congregation and unite with them as we do all those things that we're calling about that we're calling the father's business I would offer this as an invitation you know I'm not the pastor but I think that the pastor would certainly welcome you this morning if there's any decision that you need to make to call God your father to worship his son and to be about his business we encourage you to do that today on New Year's